I want to talk to you a little bit about testimony. Testimony. Not yours. Not mine. But the Apostle Paul. You can learn a lot by watching what somebody else says and does. And so the Apostle Paul is a, uh, a wonderful person to learn from. Just about everything that he's ever done in his life, even before he trusted the Lord, was used by the Lord. And uh, so just because uh, you didn't trust the Lord for 20, 30 years after you were born, all those things that you went through and lessons you learned can still be used. It's just sometimes you're trying to figure out how, how can I use it. And I've watched over my own personal life uh, that a lot of stories and so forth that I, I tell. And uh, I, I used to watch, you know, some of the school teachers cringe when I would tell, you know, to the students how I cut off the dog's tail, you know, things like that. And the teachers were standing there because they could see what was coming. And, uh, but I love watching them, you know, when they cringe and all that. But, uh, th but there's reasons. There's, there's stories. And so, as you study the Bible, you'll find out that uh, you learn how to interject some of their, your experiences. Now, experiences are, they're, they're costly. They're not cheap. You've got to pay great prices to get good stories. You may not know it, but all of your troubles that you're having, all your problems, and those are illustrations for you later. But they come across better when it happened to you. And so you can tell your stories of what God did for you and what he brought you through. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. In chapter 8. In Sunday school, we're going through the book of Acts. We just finished talking a little bit about Philip and the revival that he left and how God used him. But right before that, we were talking about Stephen and how that uh, God had used Stephen. Uh, he just preached this one good sermon. Now, there may be others, we don't know. Uh, but he was stoned to death. And so he says here in Acts in chapter 7, sure look at this real quick. In Acts chapter 7, after Stephen had finished preaching, it says in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And I believe that chapter should end right there. But persecution began. God wanted the message to get out. So far, they were still in Jerusalem. And so the apostles were staying there in Jerusalem, but great persecution scattered the rest of them. And they went everywhere preaching the word of God. So he makes a statement in verse 1, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, 
entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Before Saul trusted the Lord, he was a bad man. But in the Jewish religion, he was a, a good man. Uh, I guess you could say it depends on your perspective. He thought he was doing God a favor, doing everything that God wanted him to do. He talked about the zeal that they had for the Lord. He ought to know. He had great zeal, great fervor for the Lord. And so um, chapter 9, verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And this is when Saul saw the light. And he's, when he wrote that song, I saw the light. But Ananias was no doubt one of these that were in the synagogue that had trusted the Lord and believed on the Lord. And so here's the Lord going to send Ananias to come alongside Paul. And it's amazing that Saul was going there to, to get him, and then the Lord sent him to get Paul. So it's amazing how quickly some things can turn around. But the great persecution began, and the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? Because see, when you persecute the body of Christ, you're persecuting Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. When people persecute us, they're persecuting the Lord, and he takes it personally. That's why always be careful how you treat one another, because we are the body of Christ, and we are to love each other, as God says. Now, I just want to kind of give you a couple things to look at, because it deals with this man's testimony and how greatly God used him, even the things that he had done before he was ever saved. And so... I remember listening to Ray Stanford give his testimony. How many times I've heard about him flying over Munich and the bombs, the, the motors went out and he went down and he could drink enough beer to sink the whole city and all kind of stuff. And he would tell the same story over and over again. And when you heard it, you didn't hurt it. He goes again and again and again and tells the same story. Well, a lot of time when I give my testimony, I tell them a little bit about my daddy was a bootlegger and spent most of like in chain gang. And so people listen to it, and they hear that. And one day I was going to be gone from the ranch out there in Colorado. I was going to be out for a week or so. And so Bob Daly was going to speak for me in ranch. So he gets in ranch, and he says, you know how Yankee, he always tells you that, uh, you know, you got to do the hand gesture, blah, 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 blah. He says, I don't agree with him. Betty was sitting there. She didn't know what Bob is going to do. Bob says, let this hand represent you and me. And then he starts off with, um, my daddy was a bootlegger and spent most of his life in the chain game. You've got to give your own testimony, though. Don't try to make it more glamorous than what it is. Well, your mind's not exciting. Well, it may not be as exciting, but it ought to be truthful. And I started giving my testimony how that I was so ugly that, uh, well, you know, they say that beauty is skin deep, but ugliness goes clean to the bone, and I had bone trouble. But you give part of your testimony, and, uh, but you don't tell everything all the time exactly the same way. 
Now we have even in the book of Acts where at three different occasions Paul gives his testimony and each one he, he says something a little bit different. It's not that they contradict each other, it's just that he only has to bring out certain things because of who he's talking to and what it's about. So in your testimony, you find out you call out certain things that you need based upon who you're talking to. And so this is what happened here. But I do want you to see this. Look in Acts in chapter 22. Acts in chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, you'll notice Scripture's talking about Paul and having to give his defense. But he does make this statement. He says, uh, I speak in more languages than they all. And I want you to see that verse. Look, first of all, there at Acts chapter 21 and verse 37, where Paul says, Paul was to be led into the castle. He said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? And then you look down there in uh, chapter 22 and verse 2. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue. Now, so this was a, an educated man. He could speak in different languages. How many? It doesn't really say, but he says he could speak in various languages. And he talks about his education and who he was and where he came from. But notice what he says in verse 39 of chapter 21, where he says, But Paul says, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. Now, when you got the uh, coast of Israel, and you follow the coast on up, and you got the Mediterranean Sea, and there's an island called Cyprus, and there's another one on further over, but you have the coast when it gets up there to the top, right in that area is what we call the Cilicia. And this is where it is. Now, in this area up through here is what we call Galatia. It's also the Asia Minor area. And so when Paul was preaching the gospel and he went to Galatia, and Antioch, Lystra, and Iconium, and, uh, and so forth, there was these cities that were there. But he was in from that same area. But he was born in Tarsus, and he says that his dad was also a Pharisee. So Paul was a son of a Pharisee. So he was raised in all this stuff. So he knew what was going on. And then he says here in verse 39, A citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, allow me, suffer me, permit me to speak unto the people. So Paul is going to get his opportunity, his chance. Now look what he says in verse 3. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And he was talking about in the day when he was lost. He was zealous toward God. He worshiped God. He followed the law. He did all these things. But he was just lost. But he knew what it was like to be in that condition and what they were going through because now they think they're doing God a favor if they take somebody like Paul and have him killed. And this is what they were going to do. Notice what else he says here in verse 4. And I persecuted this way unto the death. Paul says that. Binding and delivering into prison both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness. 
and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. He was a bad man. And um, Ananias, later on in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, didn't, didn't want to go see him. He says, Lord, you know, you know who he is? <laughs> like, Lord, you don't, you don't know about this guy? The Lord's the one that told him to go see him. So these are important. Now look at verse 25. Uh, verse 25 of chapter 22. And it says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Because you're going to scourge this guy. But he knew a little bit about the law. It is important for God's children know a little bit about the law. Paul used that. And he says, I am a, a Roman. So the chief captain says, so you're a Roman. He says, I paid a great price for my citizenship. And Paul says, I'm a freeborn. It means that his dad evidently had to buy his freedom. But Paul being born of a free man, then he was freeborn. He's a Roman. And because he was a Roman, there's things you couldn't do to a Roman. They had certain rights. Paul knew what his rights were, and he appealed to that. So he says here in uh, verse 26, When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. He's a Jew, but he's a Roman. Then the chief captain came and says unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yes. The chief captain answered, With a great sum I obtained this freedom. Paul says, I was freeborn. Then straightway or immediately they departed from him, uh, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. And so now there is command, and he commands the chief priests that they're going to be listening to this here. And also... Look here in verse 30. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whether he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before him. So, see, Paul later is going to have to, well, as the Lord promised him, you're going to have to testify and witness before kings and so forth for my sake. As he says in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And suffer Paul did. Now you notice in verse 6 of chapter 23, but when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, the other was Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. Why? Because he wanted to split the vote. He wanted the Pharisees to agree with him, Instead of all of them being against him, maybe only half of them would be against him. And it caused no small stir. He says, I am a Pharisee. Now get the next part. The son of a Pharisee. Not that he was. He's the son of a Pharisee. So he'd been around for a while and he knew all about this stuff. Now look down in verse 11. Paul's in hot water. He's going to be given a, a defense of why he's doing what he's doing. And because he's a Roman, he could appeal to Caesar, which is what he did. So the Lord had promised him, I'm going to send you to Rome. 
So he already knew he was going to Rome. But there were some people who were determined to take his life. So trouble is brewing. You notice in verse 11, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Be of good cheer, Paul. Got some good news for you. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. But listen, when Paul testified, it wasn't always with everybody giving him a standing ovation, no one an applause, and I was glad to hear him. He suffered, but he was still doing what God wanted to him. Just because the results weren't like he wanted or what we would desire, because everybody doesn't always agree, he had to face the music. There's consequences. And he says, as thou hast testified here in Jerusalem, guess what? So must thou bear witness also at Rome. Even though you're going under house arrest, you're on your way to Rome. Yay! God promised. Now, if God told him, you're going to Rome, do you think that if Paul does what he's supposed to do and God said what he wanted him to do, do you think that there's a possibility it might just happen? Good possibility. Do you ever think about maybe you are invincible in the hands of God until God's through with you? Can God keep you alive? Can God allow somebody to take your life? Well, yes. Since we don't know which one it's going to be, we're supposed to rejoice always, regardless. Now, look what he says in verse 12. Now, when it was day... Certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had done what? Till they killed Paul. Now, look how many people did this. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So there's 40 men had gotten together, swore an oath, they will not sleep or eat. What was that there? Oh, they're not going to eat nor drink. I guess they could sleep. Eat nor drink until they kill Paul. Now, so far in your Christian life, how many people do you know has taken an oath like that for you? You have anything to complain about? If you really want to take and say, it's such a hard. Wait a minute. Look what some of these guys went through. You really want to be like Paul. You want God to use you like Paul. Well, you've got to pay the price of a man like Paul, too. Look what else he says. In verse 14, And they came to the chief priests and elders and says, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, that we will neither eat nothing until we have slain Paul. And so the chief priest says, Don't do that. No, they didn't say that. Now, therefore, in verse 15, Therefore, ye would the counsel signify... To the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or even ever he come near, are ready to kill him. Now, it just so happens, by a coincidence. You see, Paul had a sister. And Paul had a sister who had a son, who just happened to hear what was said. So you look what he said in verse 3. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him, 
said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. And he took him and brought him to the chief captain and says, Paul, the prisoner, called me into him and asked me or prayed me to bring this young man unto him, unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief, chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he says, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou would have bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou have shown these things to me. Just a coincidence that somebody accidentally overheard, just happens to be Paul's nephew, just coincidence, huh? At the right time, the right ears, heard the right thing, did the right thing. And yet, here's Paul, totally at the mercy. He has to trust the Lord to get him through it. So look what he says in verse 23. He called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. 470 Roman legionnaires are ready to move at night to take this one man safely through. Now, do you believe God was watching over this? Didn't God say, hey, I'm going to bring you all the way to Rome? And there was a time when Paul was a little on the scared side. He didn't hurt so much, beat up so bad. And the Lord says, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. When you read the last part of Acts and he gets in this great big old ship, and then there's a shipwreck, and all the things that happen. And uh, because of Paul, he saved everybody's life. They were called the shipites. No, but they were used of the Lord. But God can watch over you and bless and move in strange and mysterious ways. You just be found faithful in serving the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All kind of things can happen. It's just like, for example, I uh, had some news that... Uh, Jesse was driving his car, and somebody else decided to drive his car for him and hit him from the side. But you realize how quickly something could have happened? Very bad. But it just happened to the car. No big deal. Just a car. Jesse's more important than the car, so we're thankful that the Lord watched over him, protected him. But you don't know how serious Satan takes your dedication. He may take your dedication more seriously than you do because he's going to do everything he possibly can to stop you, and he doesn't care how he has to do it. Take your Bible and look in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's an interesting scripture here that lets you get a, a, an idea of the way Paul was and maybe a little bit of an idea why God chose to use him in the way that he did. Now, of course, God couldn't make Paul trust him. God didn't make Paul serve him. Paul agreed with the Lord. He did believe on the Lord, and he did decide to serve the Lord. 
And he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. You see, there's more than just salvation. Salvation is a great thing. It's what gets you into the kingdom of God. But you were not there yet. And as far as we're not in heaven, we, we're still here. And there's so much that God wants us to do. But look in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He tells us about all these, the bad things. And the law is not for the righteous man, but the law is for the, the ungodly and the unfaithful and all that kind of stuff. Then he says there in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel is the gospel of perfection. You see, if the gospel cannot make you perfect, the gospel isn't any good. If the gospel cannot prepare a man for eternity, it can't prepare you at all. Because your works can't do it, but grace can. And so this is why when we talk about when you trust Christ as your Savior, you've got to be perfect to go to heaven. Well, evidently, trusting Christ as your Savior makes you perfect in Christ. So he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was, and here's those words, committed to my trust. Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing man, but God which trieth our heart. Now, where is that verse found? Anybody ever heard that verse before? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Very, very good. All right, now notice what it says. In verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. See, you be found faithful, God will put you in the ministry. You just do what God wants you to do. Be found faithful. And now notice what verse 13 says. Here is his resume. Now, does he have the resume that's fit for a missionary? I bet if the Apostle Paul was here today and went around and tried to raise the missionary support, they wouldn't even let him into church. I mean, he wouldn't qualify you. I mean, you got what kind of a test? You did what? Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor injurious, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly as an unbeliever in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. Worthy of all acceptations, or mean worthy for everybody to accept, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Look what he has done. Look how he has lived. And if he can save the chief, he can save all the Indians, right? right. Now notice, he even refers to that as an example. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. If God can save a man like Paul, God can save anybody. 